For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one breathing the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. All right, guys. Um, So first I want to say... when the audio came in for me, it came in a little spottily. So if the same thing is happening where I'm sounding kind of spotty, just uh, have someone shoot me something in the chat so that uh, you know I can do something to amend that because I don't want to sound spotty for the next 30 minutes or so. Uh, but yes, it's me, John Simon, the larger, more digital version. Uh, by all accounts, I most likely had COVID about uh, a week ago. Uh, but unfortunately, I didn't test positive until yesterday. And so uh, we're just going to take this as a positive test. And I certainly didn't want to, uh, you know, come across as irresponsible with this. And so, you know, I'm here at home having a great time. I had a great conversation with my buddy Thomas Duell uh, about an hour ago. He was like, oh, man, you're preaching online. I think I'd rather die. And I was like, thanks, Thomas. Like, that's like exactly what I wanted to hear. You're a good, good pal. So uh, before we jump into the sermon, we're actually going to continue a practice that we started um, at the beginning of this year, which is where we're going to preach. I'm sorry. We're going to pray through kind of an extended version of the Lord's Prayer. So uh, if you could pray with me and then we'll get started. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Lord, we praise you as both our king and also our loving father. We praise you because you are worthy of all praise and of all honor. We pray that your name is extolled and lifted high. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, we pray continually for the coming of your kingdom. We pray for the goodness of the gospel to be lifted up in our city of Tucson. We pray for the healing of the sick in our church, including our sick family members and our sick loved ones. We pray for your kindness and presence with us as your will is unfolding around us. Give us this day our daily bread. Lord, we pray that through this day, we would not go without, but you would provide for us with the things that we need. We also pray that we would listen to Jesus as he encourages us to not dwell any more than we need to on these things, but to trust that our Father who loves us will take care of us. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lord, we come to you as imperfect, as full of flaws in our own struggles. 
We trust in Jesus that you have forgiven us of our sins. And may that awareness of forgiveness give us hope and strength and not indifference. Help us to confess our sins to you and to those that we wrong, not for shame, but out of love. May you fill us with the same love that you have for us, that we may share it with others through forgiveness and grace. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God, please be our protection in a world full of thorns and evils and dangers. Please be our shield and cover us under the protection of your wings. Protect us from the evils of the world and similarly protect us from the evils in our own hearts as you continue the work of the spirit in each of us. We pray for your mercy and we hope for the time when all things will be made new. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. All right, guys. Um, so we're going to dismiss the kids now. So if you've got um, children that you've already checked into child care, go ahead and take them back to the back room right now. And, uh, and as that's happening, we will, uh, we will start to see. I will say, like, I, I know I've explained this before, but easily the thing that I'm not the fan of the most when it comes to Zoom preaching is that um, I've got some nice shots of myself up here, which is like preaching to a mirror, which is weird. Uh, I'm making eye contact with Louie, which is cool. I got a few um, square uh, rectangles, some gray rectangles. And then everyone else, I just can't see at all. You guys could be making silly faces to me this whole time. I wouldn't I'd be none the wiser. And uh, that makes me feel a little, little self-conscious. But you know what? Um, the Lord is good. And we're going <laughs> to we're going to just do this. Uh, so, yeah, here's our here's our uh, here's our message for today. Let's let's pray one more time real quick. Father God, um, I trust in your sovereignty because you are a beautiful and wonderful God. And even if I'm not in a beautiful and wonderful place such as Zoom, uh, God, I just pray that your word and what you've shared with me would not be hindered through uh, the, the wavy networks of technology, um, but that people would be able to hear and that I would be able to proclaim and that you would be able to receive the glory which you are due. And so, Father, please help me. As the speaker, please help all of us as listeners, and uh, may it bring you great glory. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, guys, as we get into this passage here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I want to spend a little bit more time than we've spent over the past few weeks in Andy's messages, getting into like the background of what's happening in this chapter. This is, as you guys know, the fairly famous, at least somewhat well-known passage that gets into this idea of being all things to all men. Thank you, Broadway Boulevard. Um, but of being all things to all men. And... In addition to that, being a Jew to the Jews, in addition to that, being a Greek to the Greek, and in the passage that we're in specifically today, being weak with those who are also weak. And so let's get into this passage here and kind of the background of what's going on. So Paul is addressing an issue that is splitting up the church in Corinth. Now, you may not know, Corinth is, a, is an ancient city in Greece. 
And, you know, uh, geographically, it's about halfway between Sparta and Athens, which are a little bit more widely known cities in Greece. And, you know, Greece at this time was still very much uh, a big part of their worship style was to perform sacrifices. And a lot of these sacrifices took place in their temples to the pantheon gods and goddesses like Zeus and Apollo and Hermes and all these different individuals. And so... They would sacrifice animals, you know, which was not uncommon to Jewish worship before this either, uh, but they would sacrifice animals, so usually sometimes dogs or horses or game meats or fish or things like that. And they would take a small little token portion of the meat that was sacrificed and they would burn it as part of their ritual. The situation was they would end up with a lot of meat left over and they didn't want to waste it. So sometimes that meat would go home with people who worked in the temples and they would have these big feasts to kind of invite everyone over to not waste the meat. Sometimes it would be sold or taken to nearby shops, which would be sold to those who lived in the area. But it kind of created this tension for local Christians who were like, is it wrong for us to enjoy this food that is sacrificed literally to like like a pagan god and so many of the relatively new christians in this area knew that there was nothing wrong with this they knew that the ritual itself was ungodly but that it wasn't defiling the meat the meat was still a good thing that god had made that it was fine to not neglect it and they recognized this wasn't actually a problem. But there were some in the church who, for them, this was too close for comfort. It reminded them of all of the ungodly things about their former religion, and they didn't want anything to do with it. And so they said, no, you can't even come close to this, uh, to this food that's sacrificed to gods. It's, it's unholy. It's not something a Christian should eat. And so the sides were set with one group believing that the others were misinformed and ignorant, and the others believing that the former were compromising their Christian ideals. So you'd think that when Paul decides to rule in on this issue, that the resolution would be really simple. You'd think that God would say, look, to all of you who think that it's wrong to eat food that's sacrificed to idols, here's the thing, you're wrong, you need to understand that your viewpoint of this is completely dated and it's influenced by your culture. So stop complaining, stop bickering, get your stuff together and stop calling what God has called good wrong. You'd think that it'd be a really simple solution. But Paul actually doesn't respond in such a quick to correct way. And God does, I'm sorry, Paul does responds to this issue of like, uh, there is nothing wrong with eating this. And so you do need to realize that maybe your consciences are weaker than your friends here. But Paul actually spends more time not rebuking those with weaker consciences, but the group that's factually right. And so, and, you know, stop me if this sounds familiar, but there was something interesting about Greek culture. A lot of them were still very influenced by the philosophers and the scientists and the intellectuals of ancient Greek history. To them, it was almost more important than anything to be right. If they were right, then not only did they have that 
extra boost, but it also meant that they could look down on and scoff at those who were intellectually weaker than them. For them, being enlightened was the highest goal. It was, it was greater than charity. It was greater than unity. And sometimes it was more important than the people that they were looking down on. And so Paul's response to this is actually by telling them that they're abusing their liberty to do something that where they have every Christian right to do and that the response they should have is to give it up. Paul tells them, and kind of by explaining Paul's own background, Paul says, listen, as someone who works for the church, I have every right to receive payment for what I do. However, I know that if I accepted pay for what I did, all of my critics would say that I was just doing this for money. So do you know how much money I make from these churches? Zero dollars. Paul is saying that he cares so much about the gospel and doesn't want to create a stumbling block that he is giving up something that he is entitled to so that he doesn't cause the weaker Christians or critics from the outside to see the gospel as less. So what Paul is basically saying is, look, if you guys are so proud of being right that you're lording this, this correctness over the people who were wrong, then you're actually the weaker ones. Because if you'd rather be right than be loving, then you're neither. I wrote that in bold, so I'm gonna say it again. If you'd rather be right than loving, then you're, you're neither. Now, Andy mentioned this a couple of weeks ago that Paul is not just in a conflict resolution mode. Paul's not just trying to resolve this, you know, one and done conflict between a couple people in church. Paul is actually laying out a formula for how we as Christians are to be ambassadors for Christ in this world around us. Basically how we're supposed to be Christians in a non-Christian world. He's saying, look, I'm not saying throw caution to the wind and participate in all these types of idol worship and unchristian practice. I'm not saying to abandon your conscience. I'm not saying to do what's wrong. But I am saying that you shouldn't hold your Christian liberties so tightly that we offend and diminish the gospel to those whose consciences are weaker than ours. Some of you guys know this about me, but... Son of a gun, where am I at? Sorry, phone call went off. Uh, I messed up my laptop, my bad guys. Um, some of you guys know this about me, but after I graduated from the U of A, um, when I was about 21, I spent six months living in Israel. I spent six months living in this small kind of kibbutz type community. It was about 20 minutes away from Jerusalem. And I remember hearing from a group of Christians that if you go into Jerusalem, which is, of course, a very, like, uh, religiously conservative, very Jewish community, to not wear, like, uh, overtly Christian, like, paraphernalia around. Uh, and at that time, I had a cross necklace that I wore almost everywhere. And it wasn't me trying to be super Christian guy. I just loved my necklace. My mom gave it to me a number of years ago. I almost never took it off. And so... Um, but they said, basically, if you go into Jerusalem sporting your cross necklaces and your, you know, not of this world t-shirts, you're going to get weird looks. 
And it's going to hurt your witness as a Christian to non-Christians. And, you know, being young and kind of dumb, I was like, whatever, I'll do what I want to do. And I did. I went into Jerusalem wearing my cross necklace and nobody threw rocks at me. I didn't get chased out of the city. I didn't get, you know, nobody threw rotten tomatoes at me, but I did get looks and I did get like scoffs and scowls and things like that. And now here's the thing. If I'm looking at this from a purely moral standpoint, is there anything in the Bible that says thou shalt not wear cross necklaces? No. Is there anything in the Bible that says thou shalt not wear my uh, Jesus is my homeboy t-shirts wherever I go? No. So in my mind at that point in time, I'm thinking I'm right. I am not bound to do what this person wants me to do. But the question that I needed to ask myself in this situation, and the question that Paul is throwing at the Corinthians, is what would you rather be, right? Or would you rather love your neighbor? Or how about this? Would you rather find strength in your rightness or find love and meeting the weakness of your neighbor. That was really the issue that I was at. And so it's an interesting thing when we get into this idea of weakness in the Bible. In fact, I, I, there's something that I kind of noticed really recently, and I want to share it with you guys. When you read through the Bible, there's one group of people that consistently come across as really weak. They, uh, they whine and they complain to God constantly. They put themselves into these absurd binds that God has to bail them out of time after time. They sin and they grumble. They abuse each other and they put each other down. They seem constantly bound to their own vices and issues. You know who this group of people is? It's the people of God. It's the people of God. Now, the idea of having to bear with the weakness of others can be frustrating, especially when we've told ourselves the same lie that the Corinthians did, that to be weaker than someone is to hold less value. The issue is that someone who tends to look down on those who are weaker than them ought to become more acquainted with the weakness in their own hearts. And honestly, that's the great irony of this whole situation here. It's that, yeah, these guys who won't eat dinner at so-and-so's house, they're weak because they don't know any better. But you guys who have the right opinion and yet look down on those guys for not, your weakness isn't in your lack of knowledge. Your weakness is that you know better, but that you're too arrogant to use your knowledge for love instead of pride. And so you may be thinking like, oh, well, John, I don't, I don't have a problem with meat sacrifice to idols. But I think that if we really explore, like Christians should be most acquainted with not just the general idea of weakness, but our own personal weakness. And so you say, John, I don't have, I don't have a problem with 
meat sacrifice to idols. I've ne- I never have. Never once have I rejected a meal because it was sacrificed to an idol. And I'd say uh, maybe not, but you certainly do have weaknesses. And if you don't know it, shoot, ask your spouse, <laughs> ask your uh, ask your girlfriend, ask your best friends, ask your siblings, ask your parents. I'm sure they could help you. Because let's let's think. Maybe you don't have a problem with meat sacrifice to idols, but maybe your weakness is that you expect a lot from the people around you. And when they don't meet your expectations, it makes you angry and you harbor hostility and resentment in your hearts against them. Maybe you don't have a problem with meat sacrifice to idols, but maybe your weakness is that you're very non-confrontational. And so when conflict happens in a relationship, you often choose the safety of ignoring the problem rather than getting your hands dirty and diving into the hard effort of reconciliation. All right, maybe you're actually very non-confrontational and you have no problem confronting others, but a lot of times it leads to them feeling steamrolled and ignored and not cared for. Maybe you don't have a problem with meat sacrifice to idols, but maybe your weakness is that you have astronomically high expectations of yourself. You struggle to accept grace from God and even the grace and kindness from others because in your mind, you should be, you have to be better than what you are. Or maybe you don't have a problem with meat sacrifice to idols, but maybe your weakness is that you've been hurt by some of life's sharper edges And you've been left with a wound and that wound makes it hard to trust, makes it hard to love others, and sometimes makes it hard to accept love for yourself and to love the God who loves you. Now, guys, trust me, I'm not bringing these things up to cast stones. Please don't think that's my intention here. I can say these things because many of them I unfortunately identify with myself. A big weakness that I carry around with me is that for most of my life, I felt like a black sheep in most of the spaces that I found myself in, whether it was church or school or social groups or whatever. And so I have this like horrible internal dialogue that I often have to struggle with where I feel and uh, think of myself as very unwanted and unloved, even in a space where I'm surrounded by people who know me and love me. And I struggle with that to this day. It affects my friendships. It affects the way I look at myself. It affects the way that I believe God looks at me. I am acquainted with my own weaknesses. And I bring this up to say that, guys, every brick of the kingdom of God is made of weak and wounded and imperfect people standing on the perfect foundation of Jesus. I'll say that one more time because again, I bolded it. And that is one thing I'm liking about this Zoom service so far. Every brick of the kingdom of God is made of weak, wounded, imperfect people standing on the perfect foundation of Jesus. Because weakness is hard. It's easy to scoff at the weakness of others because because we kind of internally hate the weakness that we carry in ourselves. But what does God say about the weak? Well, I always think of the Beatitudes where Jesus doesn't say, uh, blessed are the rich and strong in spirit, but blessed are the poor in spirit. 
God says that he will rescue the weak and the needy from the hand of the wicked. That's Psalm 82. God says that there is a high priest who is Jesus, who is able to empathize with our weaknesses. That's Hebrews 4. God says to us, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's Isaiah 41. And even in the beginning of Paul's letter to this group of Corinthians that are being scolded right now, he says that God is using the weak to shame the strong. So when we return to the sin of the Corinthians, this wasn't just some random moral issue about eating this or not eating that. The heart of the issue was that these people believed that because their adversaries were weak, that they were less than, and they were building obstacles for these people to hear and be ministered to by the gospel because of their weakness, which is just completely counter to what the gospel actually is. For the people of God, people who should be more than anyone on this planet, well acquainted with weakness, this type of mentality is just so anti-gospel. And so as we piece together this idea of our church, of our church being an outpost, what we mean is this, Let no man or woman's weakness create a rift so wide that the goodness of the gospel can't reach across. Andy mentioned a few weeks ago that to be a Greek to the Greeks or a Jew to the Jews means that you are loving others and meeting them where they are so that we can get invited to dinner. Guys, the idea of loving the weak and even being weak to the weak implies that you'll make space at your dinner table for the weakest among you. Because as Paul is saying here, I would become weak to those who are weak so that some, maybe by the grace of God, some would come to understand the gospel and be reintroduced to the living God. So don't turn away someone whose conscience is weaker than yours. God loves and cares for the weak. And weakness is a place where we all struggle. This is why Paul is so pointed in his correction. The love of the gospel is a much better hope than the rightness of an argument. Because that's the beauty behind all of this. The goodness of the gospel, the good news of all things being made new, the salvation of Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit is active in my weakness. That's the hope that I can carry. So day by day, I'm being made new in my weakness. Day by day, all of God's people are being made new in their weakness. Day by day, these people who are like, was this meat sacrificed to idols because I can't eat that? Day by day, those people were being made new in the gospel. So why would you keep them from that? Why would you keep them from the gospel? Never stand in the way of a weak person and the God that wants to heal them. Never um, hold back the antidote from a sick person simply because we find their sickness to be more ugly than ours. God met us in our weakness to save us, and we should strive to reflect the same love to others. Uh, There's this documentary uh, series that I watched a while back. Um, It 
had a host who would go and spend time with uh, members of like various hate groups. And there was an individual who was being kind of followed around who was part of the National Socialist Party, which uh, I believe is basically just like the, the, the modern day neo-Nazis. Um, throughout the duration of his uh, conversations, he um, espouses some of like the most like horrendously offensive views you could hold as a modern day person. Things like denying that the Holocaust ever happened and talking about how interracial mingling just shouldn't happen. And, you know, just some ab absurdly like racist, anti-Semite, xenophobic things. And uh, there's like uh, an individual introduced in that episode who was labeled his pastor. And I was like, ah, oh, great. Like, <laughs> it's going to be this dude who's going to okay all this dude's mad racist stuff. And on top of that, he was also wearing a Josh Garrels shirt. And if you don't know, Josh Garrels is like this great folk musician. So I was like, man, this, this is a terrible day for Jesus and Josh Garrels that this dude's about to be mad racist. Uh, but there was a part in this episode where the host asks the pastor, like, do you find homeboys like views to be acceptable? Like, do you do you do you like resonate with these things? And the pastor's like, no, absolutely not. Like, I find them horrendous. And I've told him this. But the situation is, and he said this quote, and I thought it was just really interesting. He said, I know what it is to believe a lie. I know what it is to think that I have to come up with a reality for myself. So I'm not surprised when other people do that as well. And so when the guy asked him, well, do you think he's ever going to change? The pastor said, well, that's what I pray for all the time. And you could just get this sense that the pastor had this tremendous amount of love for someone who held to some of the most despicable views you could hold to, some of the most offensive, anti-human, like, just viewpoints you could hold, but that this pastor had such a rich love for him, and it was not because of his views, but his views weren't so terrible that he felt the need to withhold the gospel from him. This pastor chose to show him love and to make space, uh, to make a seat at his table, literally and figuratively, and to give him space for the Holy Spirit to minister to his weaknesses. And as an outpost church in Tucson, which is the whole series that we're in this January, that is what we must strive to do to create room at our table for the weak, for the unknowledgeable, not to justify or absolve them of their weaknesses, but to allow the goodness of the gospel to minister to their hearts in the same way that God is ministering to ours. And so now um, I'd like to transition to the great high points of any Christian worship service, which is the Lord's table. Uh, I will not, of course, be able to administer that. Andy's going to take that over for me, but I would like to just introduce it and say, at this table, through this bread and this wine, we will have the tremendous pleasure that Christians have been partaking in for 2,000 years of meeting with the living Christ and remembering the past of his sacrifice 
for our weaknesses, and then looking forward to the future when all of our weaknesses will be corrected and completed and finished and washed away. Because when we come to this table, we can remember that through our faith in him, our weakness becomes strength as we have become one in him and he has become one in us. Thank you for bearing with this digital version of John Simon. Uh, if you would, please pray with me. Uh, and then Andy's going to come up and lead us in confession. And I'm going to turn my camera on. Uh, Father, I thank you. Uh, for the grace that you show us in our weaknesses. God, it's, it's 100% true. It is 100% true that we as Christians should be the first to acknowledge that weakness is inseparably written into our DNA. We're weak people. We're not perfect. But through your weakness, like we are putting to shame the strong. And God, who, who you look for are not those who are strong, like they think that they can do things by themselves. You're looking for the weak. So when when we see the weak, whether they're in our churches, or whether they're in the world, whether they're in our families, if they're at our, our workplaces, people who offend us with their unchristian sensibilities, people who maybe uh, just we don't resonate or vibe with, maybe they're just irritating or annoying or whatever the case may be, God, may we bear alongside them as you bear with us in the midst of our weaknesses, as we as brothers and sisters bear with others in their weaknesses. May you give us grace, but not just grace for ourselves, God. Please give us grace. Give us extra grace that we can share with others. We need it, Father. Please bless our church that we would be an outpost for this city, that we would be a church that welcomes in those who feel unwanted and unloved in many other spaces those who feel their weakness in a tremendous way, but may we minister to them in a way that we can put that weakness where it ought to be, which is right at the foot of your cross, Lord. Um, we pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.